The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Let us pray. We therefore lift up our minds and hearts to thee, O Lord our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and would with all that is within us bless thy great and holy name, thanking thee for the multitude of thy mercies toward us and the kindness that thou hast shown to us even this day. We gather before thee. We have sung thy praise. We now desire thy presence with thy word, and thank thee that thou hast promised that the Spirit, its ultimate author, will, according to the merit of thy Son and the abundant measure of thy grace to us, supply our every need that we might maintain and proclaim thy word uh, to the uttermost ends of the earth. We thank thee that thou hast assured us uh, that thy word will not return unto thee void. We pray then that thy kingdom might come, uh, thy name be hallowed, and that the Lord Jesus Christ be exalted. Remember those in need this day on the east coast and inland. Be with those who are bereaved, those whose lives have been devastated by this immense storm. Uh, remind them and remind us all of how frail our tenure of life is and our tenancy here upon the earth. We thank thee that thou art ruling and reigning. We also are mindful of the gentler aspects of thy providence in which we see the reign of thy grace and mercy being poured upon the earth and we ask that the kingdom therefore might be extended by thy word continue to grant Mary Ellen Godfrey steady recovery support the family at this time of trial be with each and all of us supply our every need according to thy riches in glory by Jesus Christ and pardon our sins for his sake. Amen. Be seated, please. The closing words of Isaiah 55 are, of course, before us this morning. Uh, from verse 10 to verse 13, let us hear the word of God. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace, the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, 
Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Uh, So far, the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us and continue to use the whole of the chapter for our good. This is the time of year, isn't it, when we sing a safe stronghold, our God is still. And part of the verse, part of a verse of that hymn is God's word for all their craft and force. One moment will not linger, but spite of hell will have its course. Tis written by his finger. And the effectiveness the insuperable effectiveness of the word of God is at the heart of these verses. My word shall not return unto me void. It shall accomplish what I please and prosper in the thing whereto I send it. And that is depicted by the prophet by an observable event in the physical world not isolated, but recurring, not local, but universal. Precipitation from the sky produces productivity in the soil and preservation of life. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and here we are in a desert, and already there's been snow in the Sierras, and The snowpack, I've learned, is so important, Colorado so vital, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth It shall not return to me void, empty, having achieved nothing, but it shall accomplish what I purpose and succeed, prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. The church's gospel is God's gospel. The church has not devised it. God has entrusted it to the church to make it known far and wide to all the nations. It is the expression, so Isaiah tells us, of his mind, his thoughts and ways, is a rather unusual way of describing the gospel. Uh, But that is what it is. The gospel is each of those and both of them together. His intentions, his thoughts, his ways, his acts. God is no armchair theorist, nor is he a compulsive activist, sitting and devising something that he hopes will work, discovering that it doesn't, feverishly trying something else, That's typical of man's thoughts and ways, but it does not in any way characterize God's thoughts and ways. 
His thoughts and ways are what he purposes. And what he purposes, he performs. Word, in Hebrew, as you know, means not just letters, noise, but acts, events. Word declares, word accomplishes. All flesh is grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand, rise up. It's something dynamic. It goes. It brings to pass. It's his let there be. And there was. And this gospel is his ultimate how-to word to save sinners. It's not spectacular like the Jews expected. It's not speculative as the Greeks who sought after wisdom. It's what the world regards as weak and foolish. But Jesus Christ and him crucified is the power of God and is the wisdom of God. Is that word, that gospel, folly to you? Or the highest wisdom? Is it the ultimate weakness or the supreme power? How do we think of the gospel day after day? We ourselves and the church of Jesus Christ is living proof that this old, old story of Jesus and his love to sinners is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the expression of his mind but it comes from his mouth, so he tells us. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. He is the one who has revealed this. It's not that the church has sought to devise it, much less perish the thought, though it has often been true, that the church has sought to invite the world to devise what would be in its best interests as if we had nothing whatsoever from God to say to man. The world can't analyze its own need, can't prescribe its own remedy, at least a remedy that works. It doesn't, analyze, it doesn't understand the depth of its own need. But God does. And he's taken every aspect of human need into consideration in devising this word of wisdom. Oh, the depth of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How marvelous are his works and his ways past finding out. Nothing has been omitted. Nothing has been uh, neglected. Everything has been taken into consideration Ample provision and abundant salvation has been provided. And so, he has revealed it. He reveals it through the Old Testament, supremely in his Son, and then consequently uh, in uh, the New Testament scriptures to the church. And that's our message. Are we bold about it? Can we be clear and plain about it? Is there an if, is there a but in our minds with regard to whether this word will work or not? 
secure is the declaration that it cannot fail. He speaks it even when you and I speak it. He uses our voices. He uses the testimony of the church, the preaching of those whom he calls to the ministry of the word, the witness bearing of his people. Whenever his word of salvation is on our lips, the spirit is speaking along with it to those whom we address. It's from his mouth. It's true. And it's not only his mind expressed in his mouth, but his might that goes with it. That's where these wonderful pictures come in. You shall go out with joy, be led forth in peace. Mountains and the hills will break forth into singing before you. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn brush, the fir tree. Instead of the briar, the sweet-smelling myrtle. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. You see here, people and land. You shall go out with joy. Be led forth in peace. Here's the new Israel. Here's the new community. And here's a new environment. A new world. For this redeemed people to live in. A new creation. Those are the themes, aren't they, that run throughout the Old and the New Testaments. People and land. God has a people. He has a land in which they are to dwell. But they're often unworthy of living in his land. They're expelled. They go to Egypt. They go to Babylon. But they come back from Egypt. And they come back from Babylon. But here is a land far better than Canaan even before Egypt. Here is Eden before the fall. Here is the land flowing with milk and honey in reality. If anyone is in Christ, not only is he or she a new creature, but it's a new creation. There's an entirely new world within our Father's world now. Heaven and earth is transformed. We see him in it, but not only that. We enter into it. This rest begun below this fortest of heaven above, we enter into it with joy, delivered. That verb is so often used about coming out of Egypt, delivered from bondage to sin and Satan, from guilt and death, never ever to be recaptured again, never ever to be under the condemnation of God again. Within a new relationship with him, one of peace, reconciliation that's fixed and stable and sure because all that alienated him from us namely our sin and all that alienated us from him namely our enmity has been born and dealt with in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and we are brought home and we are one with him forever and forever and so 
there is this internal transformation. We're made more like human beings. We begin to stand tall like a fir tree and exude fragrance like the sweet-smelling myrtle, the savor of Christ being made known through us as we make known his word. And this will last. It's an everlasting sign. Here's the victory steel, as it were, which attests what God has done in Jesus Christ, and it will last forever and ultimately be consummated in heaven above. That's the picture. Fill it out for yourselves. Martin Luther once said, I did nothing. The word did it all. That wasn't really a theological statement. It was an acknowledgement of the fact that in comparison with what God did, he had, what had he done? Very, very little. A better way, of course, of putting that is this. God's word works because God works with his word. That's why. He doesn't just devise it. He doesn't just entrust it. He doesn't just tell us, the church, to declare it. But even when, even when the church is faithless to this wonderful assignment given to her to make known the unsearchable riches of Christ among the heathen, God's work doesn't go into abeyance. He doesn't, he isn't perplexed. He isn't in any state of anxiety as to whether the purpose will be accomplished or not. It isn't dependent on us. It shall accomplish what I please and prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. He has given us this work to do, but promised to be a co-worker with us in it. And so, let us plant and let us water, knowing that God is the one who gives and will give the increase, and not one from all the nations for whom Christ died, having been chosen by God, will fail to be brought to him through his mighty power. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and throughout our earthly pilgrimage and service, and then forevermore. Amen. Copyright 2012, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.